Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Welcome to the When to Jump podcast. My name is Mike Lewis. This week's guest is a chocolate aficionado, but he wasn't always a buff on all things chocolate. His name is Sean Askinosi. He is the founder of Askinosi Chocolate. He was a high-powered legal attorney and decided at some point he didn't want to do that anymore. He had a pretty interesting way of developing that. This is a conversation that gets pretty philosophical, pretty high level. Um, I don't want to give too much away, but there were a couple things that, that happened in his jump that were unlike anything that I've, that I've heard about in, in someone taking a risk to go do this, uh, this type of discovery. So here we go with Sean. Enjoy episode 54 on the When to Jump podcast. Before we just uh, hit the record button, you were telling me about some recent travel. And I'd like to think I travel, uh, you know, quite a bit and, and take some long flights. I can't hold a candle to your recent trip uh, to Tanzania. 50, 60 hours of travel from home, your hometown? Door to door, Springfield, Missouri, uh, which is not, by the way, a direct flight to Dar es Salaam. And <laughs> so, so we have, you know, I'm connecting in a lot of places and uh, it's a long trip. But here's the thing. And it's, it's probably my longest. I mean, I go to the Philippines every year, which is quite, quite a long trip too, and Amazon and Ecuador, uh, all buying cocoa beans. This was my 40th trip. But here's the thing. I think the sort of I, I wouldn't say this while I was travel, traveling, but kind of the length of time and trouble that it takes to get there is part of the exhilaration of just the whole thing of being a traveler and and someone who enjoys adventure. And I often travel alone. This trip, however, that I just got back from, I took 15 high school students uh, with me and a couple of other adults as a part of our chocolate university program. So we've been doing that for about 10 years. So on these trips, occasionally, I do have a lot of young people in tow. Gosh, so we, I want to get to all of that because you just had such an, an amazing life journey. And you know, one that, as as we said again before we we started pressing record, and not to take anything away from you know your background, but you you got here from from what was started as just an idea, and and I'd love to start there and 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 kind of tell folks about your story. Do you mind bringing us back to to kind of you know where you first got your ideas for what a jump could look like and what life looked like? You know, were you in Springfield? Where'd you grow up? I grew up in Springfield, Missouri, uh, here Southwest Missouri, and uh, I went to law school at the University of Missouri and practiced criminal law most of uh, my career, so about 20 years, uh, practicing in serious criminal cases, and I suppose my reputation was built in the defense of murder cases. I never lost a criminal jury trial in 20 years, and uh, it was a, a very serious kind of job. I loved it, loved everything about it. It didn't feel like work to me, and until... And I'm sure a lot of your listeners can relate to this. You might relate to this until I stopped loving it. And uh, the problem for me was, though, I didn't I knew I wanted to jump. I knew I needed to jump. But the real struggle and this was a struggle for five years. uh, I didn't know where to jump. I, 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 I was searching desperately for this next passion, next inspiration and I really think I was facing um, what many of us face, and that is this paradox of choice. Everything was open to me, it seemed like, and I couldn't choose, and I couldn't, I could not find that sort of depth of soul inspiring thing to do, and it really caused me a lot of problems. 
Well, I'm glad you mentioned that because I think so many folks in our community start at that point where you just kind of look around, you're like, okay, I know what I'm doing isn't what I want to be doing, but what do I do from here? And I think, you know, we'll get to what you did, you know, in a second, but that's, that's not a fun place to be, but it, it sounds like, you know, that's where a lot of jumps can start. It's not only where a lot of jumps can start, but I think in many ways, if they start there, that it can be um, the, the, the passing through that sort of, as the Catholics would say, and I'm not Catholic, but the Paschal mystery, that is from the valley to the mountaintop, from the death to the resurrection. It's all part of this idea that suffering can bring us, you know, it really can bring us great things. And for me, I, you know, I ended up having to get on Lexapro and go meet with a psychologist and it was a real tough time. I, I wasn't feeling well physically because of all of this and it was, it was hard. What did you turn to next at at that point? Which sounds you know not like the, well, the ground floor, but it certainly wasn't a bright a bright spot. No, and and what I did, and and this is not good for guys like you and me that write that write books. But I put the books down, like Poe Bronson's book was really popular back then. You know what should I do with my life? I read every bit of it. I thought there was going to be an invisible ink chapter dedicated just to me, that it would be from Poe. You know, hey Sean, this is Poe. This is what you should do with the rest of your life. But it wasn't. It didn't work that way. So what I did, and I didn't do this intentionally. It was just it's by happenstance. Is um, I I ended up kind of trying to have this conversation conversation with myself about the grief in my life from my childhood. My dad died when I was 14 of lung cancer and he was a lawyer and he was my hero and it was really, really hard time for me and, and uh, taking care of him when he was sick and everything. And, and so I, I really didn't, I, I, I sort of pushed through my grief as a young person and thought that I could kind of get through it by accomplishing things and by winning and making money and, and being somebody. And so um, long story short, I, I started volunteering in the palliative care unit of a local hospital, and that's essentially end-of-life care. Um, so I, I would, on Fridays, visit patients in oncology, cardiology, neurology that were in some state of dying, and most often they didn't have friends or family, and they'd requested it a visitor, and I was just a volunteer, and I would go and talk to them and just just have conversations, sometimes read to them. And at the end of my visit, I would always say, um, hey, one of the things I do here is uh, at the end of my visit, I, I pray for people. Would you like me to say a prayer for you? And I found out that 99% of people in that condition will take a prayer. And then I would ask them, well, what would you like me to pray for? And I literally used their exact words that they said to me and prayed it back to them. I would ask if I could touch their shoulder or their arm or their hand. And sometimes they would say, would you pray that I live two more weeks to my 65th wedding anniversary? Or would you pray that I die today because I'm ready to die? Or would you pray for my family or whatever? And I prayed their exact words. And here's what happened. In those seconds, literally seconds, I thought about someone besides me. I didn't, I, I wasn't just completely, utterly focused on my future and my next career and where I was going to jump to and how it would be for me. And I thought about someone else. And there were times when I left the hospital, walking out the front door, that I thought my feet weren't on the ground. And I'm not saying that in some kind of weird woo-woo way. I mean, it, it, it felt as if I was almost walking on air sometimes. What is that? It's called joy. And there are people who would say, well, that's morbid. Why, if you were with people when they died or praying for dying people? Well, it wasn't for me. Khalil Gibran, who I quote in the book, says, our greatest joy is our sorrow unmasked. 
So for me, and I'm not saying this would apply to all of your listeners, but for me, it was a matter of taking a look at my own broken heart. And I think that is from that place of brokenheartedness that the idea for chocolate ultimately uh, came forth. Were you surprised at that you were you being a stranger to these folks were how their last kind of uh, scenes of life kind of played out? Was was that was that a feeling of great responsibility that you, or is that what you signed up for? I knew when I I knew when I signed up for it that there might be some of that, and I don't want to over dramatize it and say you know that I was with all of these people every time when they took their last breath. I was with some people, a handful of people when they took their last breath. But I, I, I can say that I treated it as the sacred time that it was. And I was very, very careful, very delicate. Um, and I knew that I was in the presence of something much bigger than myself. And, and it would be almost as if I was present in many ways for their birth as opposed to their death. And, and so it, I, I can say, and I've done, I've done a lot of, I'm 57, I've done a lot of things in my life, and, and, and that those are some of the most joy-filled moments of my entire life. Wow. Was there anything you could draw a through line from, from what you took away? There were, there, they were all over, they were all over the map, but if the, con, the thread that I would pull through all of it, and not to be kind of, um, um, cliche about it, but it, it was this sense of a desire to love and be loved. And I think that um, this is because I, I think at our soul level, we, we want the same things, you know, we're, we're very, very much alike. And I see this in my travel, you know, when I, when I meet with farmers that are very poor in Tanzania and I see my I see myself in them and I think they see themselves in me and it's um, and so I think if we if we're able to kind of peel back all of the false self nature and try to see the common in each other we're, we're going to be successful at that and yeah. so I, I've I've spent a long you know many years in aspiration. I'm not going to say that I'm successful at it because it really is a practice and an aspiration that I have. It's my own calling. And that is to be in these situations where I will see and have a chance to express shared humanity and kindness. Uh, That's what I want. That's my aspiration. You know, what did that lead you to next? That led me to, of course, I mean, I spent hours upon hours Googling what I should do with my life. And I didn't, I was so desperate and it just, it seemed kind of out of reach to me. But what happened is that, that time, and by the way, this, this idea of chocolate didn't come like while I was at the hospital walking down the hall or, but it happened during that time in my life. And, you know, Gandhi says, if you want to find yourself, lose yourself in the service of others. And I'm not suggesting that this is an ends means thing. I'm not saying, hey, let's go find some people to serve so I can. It's, it's not like that. And, and of course, we know, we all know that if our intention is to serve without anything in return, then there will be a, 
um, return in the form of some kind of something coming back to us that we aren't expecting. And what happened to me in that time is, you know, you might be able to tell just from the few minutes we've been talking, uh, I'm a pretty hard charging, you know, driven person. I mean, I don't think you can be a criminal defense lawyer and win cases and not be a driven person. And so it was hard for me to not not be that way. And I, I was just driving, driving, driving. What's it going to be? But this time at the hospital created a space for me, if I could call it that, a space where I could contemplate my future, not in front of a computer, not talking to all my friends, not talking to family, but just a deeper place, a deeper place that allowed space for something else to come in besides me forcing it to happen. And so I started, I got a hobby. I started grilling on my big green egg and then I got another one and then I started baking and then I started making chocolate desserts, not knowing where chocolate came from. And then one day driving to a funeral of a distant relative around here, out near a farm where I actually live now. And this idea came, hey, what if I make chocolate from scratch? I didn't even know what that meant. I didn't know it came from a bean. I thought it was just like some kind of poured chemical, melted chemical substance. Um, But, and this is the key, when that idea uh, kind of light bulbed in my head, within three months of that, I was in the Amazon. And I was studying how farmers can influence the flavor of chocolate by how they harvest the cocoa beans. And I'm still, you know, at that point, I was still a practicing lawyer. I hadn't given that up. I was still, you know, making money and, you know, trying cases. And, but, but I took that step. And then from that point on, that was it. I knew I was going to, you know, find a way to wind down my law practice and buy a building and turn it into a chocolate factory. And this is before anybody was doing bean-to-bar chocolate. We, there were about three of us in the country that started this at the same time. Um, and that was it. That's how it happened. I love that kind of that really quick catalyst that you you waited for, you were patient to find, and then you acted on. It, it seems like if you didn't do that, it would just remain an idea and you'd still be Googling. Yes, that's right. And not only would I still be Googling, but I don't even know that I would still be alive. I mean, I, like I mentioned earlier, um, I, I, was, I was suffering from depression. I had chest pains that took me to the hospital. I thought I was having a heart attack, but it was basically a panic attack in the courtroom. Um, and I, you know, I mean, I, it, something was going on, you know, in my body and in my psyche, in my spirit. And I, I, I just, I had to, I had to get out. And I was so troubled by the fact that I couldn't find it. You know, I couldn't, I, I, I just couldn't figure out what it was going to be. And I, and I get emails from a lot of people around the country who, you know, 45-year-old burned-out lawyers that are, that are saying, what should I do? And uh, I, I have a lot of, um, you know, connection with people in that space because I know what it feels like. You do too. Right. And, and I think the hard part of the lesson you would share with them, I would think, or what we talk about in our community is that it's not, it's not overnight. It's, it's, it's mm-hmm. taking a step back. It's being patient, but then it's a lot of hard work. And uh, you know, that's the, the dirty truth is you're not going to find it on a Google search result, uh, you know, to change things in, in a matter of hours or whatnot. Right. It takes work. I mean, this is, this is, um, I think often the, 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 the answer to the question of where to jump is, um, one that requires deep, deep work. And that's not to say 
that if you have the resources and an idea that you can't just jump without the work, the problem that I've found, though, is you'll be right back in the same situation you were in after you made that jump. Only this time it'll probably be sooner than the last one. Right. And so I think I think it's worth it. I think it's really worth it to, you know, roll your sleeves up and do this kind of work to make sure that you're inspired and that this this is your place, you know, that this is your calling. And so... How did you test that for yourself? You mentioned you have you 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 came across chocolate. I love how you know, yeah. You you, you didn't even know it was from a bean. It was you know who knows where it could have come from if you're not an expert on it. And then you you're in the Amazon. What were you? Was that a way to validate that calling for you? It was. I'm I'm one of those people who I learn by doing. I need to. I, I need you know if you were going to teach me how to fly, I'd I'd need to fly and. Um, and so I'm, and, and because that's the way I am, I couldn't just read about it and make a decision. So I had to, um, I had to start making little tiny batches of chocolate in my law office, you know, and just see what that was like. And of course, you know, there are all of the stories that we tell people who are thinking of leaving their job, you know, if they make a really nice chocolate chip cookie in their kitchen, that it's not the same thing when you scale it up to making you know, 200,000 chocolate chip cookies in a day. And so, of course, there are those, those things. But I did kind of need to test it out. Um, and then, you know, and there was also sort of this whittling down process. So if you can tell from my story, as I said, I was grilling. That was, I didn't have any hobbies. I started grilling. Then I thought, well, you know, maybe this will have something to do with food. And then I whittled it down to baking. And then I actually whittled it down to cupcakes. I made thousands of cupcakes. I went to New York City, not to go to Broadway, but to go to Magnolia Bakery, you know, sort of back then it was cupcake Mecca. And I thought, well, maybe I'll just do that. And then I didn't, but I didn't feel it. I I wasn't sensing it. So I started making these chocolate desserts, nothing really fancy. And then, but I, I knew that as I started to work in that, that I wanted to do something with my hands. I wanted to do something, um, from scratch. And um, all the while in the background, I also knew that I wanted to not be, that I wanted to not have a big company. I wanted to be small. We only have 16 employees. I knew that I wanted to work directly with farmers once I started, you know, this idea of chocolate. And I knew even back then that I wanted to work with students. So that's, that's why, that's why I work so directly with farmers. I pay them direct. I go visit them every year. I, I mean, it's a very, very important part of, of what I do. And so when all of those pieces fit together, almost like a puzzle or a Rubik's cube, um, it clicks and, and, and that click is a feeling. And you know what it is? It's the same feeling that I felt when I walked out of those doors of the hospital. It's the same feeling. (laughs) So that's when I knew and I, that, well, I should say that's when I am affirmed. I'm affirmed that I'm doing the right thing at the right time. That all seems really easy. If I'm listening to this and I'm going to work, I'm like, oh, man, that guy, Sean, good for him. Like he gets to work with a food I really like. He gets to Mm -hmm. to travel around the world. Um, He's he's working for himself. You know, what what was the reality like? Because I I know that that wasn't it. (laughs) Well, yeah, no, the reality was, I mean, I, I have now been married for 31 years. And at that time, it was probably, you know, 20 or 18 years. Uh, my wife um, said to me when I told her that I had to quit my law practice and that I, I was 
you know, needed to do something else and I was going to try this chocolate. She said, this will be the greatest challenge to our marriage ever. And I heard her, but I didn't really hear her. And, and, and what she said was true. And it was, I have to say that this jump was the greatest challenge of our marriage. We'll st- we are still married and, and we got through it. And, and she's been a huge support to me in so many ways. But that was, I mean, you can't, I mean, there's not much greater challenge than that in our lives when we have the chance of losing family. The other thing I would say is when I was a lawyer, and you know about this, Mike, I mean, I was making a ton of money. I could pick the cases I wanted to take. I was, you know, I had a lot of money. Um, and I don't now. And A, I put it all in my chocolate business, and B, I just don't make very much money a year. I don't have a big line of credit. I don't have a big savings account. We're profitable. And, and, and candidly, I have to say, even this many years in, even the challenges are exciting in some ways. I, I'm not, no, no, don't get me wrong. The challenge with my marriage, I mean, that was not exciting. But we all know there are entrepreneurship challenges that are very exciting and, and, and also, you know, real serious. I mean, there are days we might lose our business, but that's also challenging, you know, and can be exhilarating to solve those kind of problems. What did you come up with at that time of saying, this is going to be worth it? I'm going to, you know, have to work hard, both personally and professionally. There's going to be financial consequences and risks that I'm going to undertake. Why still go forward? Well, I mean, in the case of my wife, and I, I mean, I, and, and I talk about this a lot in my book, but I, I'm, I'm a faithful person. And I, even back then, had a relationship with Assumption Abbey, which is a, a monastery near my house, a Trappist monastery. And I'm a family brother there now. And I had a spiritual director even then there, uh, who's still my director to this day. He's 87 years old. And so I went through a lot of that with him, you know, asking him what I should do and how to approach this. And so it was a matter of um, a lot of prayer um, during this time of trying to find the next thing and how to navigate this with my wife. And um, I, 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 I essentially told Karen that if I don't do this, there's a real chance of me not making it, you know, not being alive, not because I would do harm to myself, but just, I just, I, I mean, I, I know your listeners can, some of them will understand what I'm saying, that I didn't feel good. So I felt like I was in a brain fog. I thought I had some kind of chronic fatigue syndrome or, or perhaps fibromyalgia or something. I was, not, I was tired all the time. I mean, I was physically fit, but it was, my, it was like my body was breaking down, telling me, Sean, you've got to quit. This is not working for you. And I, I, I finally was able to really convince my wife that I had, I had to do this and for her to please trust me you know, that I, that it would be okay. And she did. And it is. Where, where can people find out more about you? I'm, I'm holding on to your book right now. I highly recommend it. It's called Meaningful Work, uh, A Quest to Do Great Business, Find Your Calling and Feed Your Soul. Uh, it's available where, wherever books are sold. And, uh, and I just think it's a great story. It shares a bit about Sean's background, but also, you know, how to, how to find that impact both in business and then obviously in your own life. But, but what else can people do to learn more, Sean? They can go to our website, uh, askanosi.com. There's a lot of content there about the things we've been talking about and chocolate uh, that we make and the farmers that we 
uh, buy our cocoa beans from. And, and then, of course, we're available on social media channels. And I have a little blog that I write, uh, and and um, that's those are ways to kind of interact with us. And my email is on that uh, blog that I write, so people can, you know, email me and ask questions, and we can talk. So yeah, awesome. Well, terrific, Sean. Thank you so much for joining joining me today. I appreciate the uh, the really earnest and meaningful conversation around all the the work you're doing and and where you're going with chocolate. And I think it's just incredibly inspiring. And so. Uh, thank you for joining, and I look forward to meeting you in person soon. Well, me too. Thanks a lot, Mike. Thanks so much for tuning in to my conversation with Sean. I hope you found that as interesting as I did. I don't think I was exaggerating, rather, by by stating just how unique of a story this is, not just about going into chocolate, but about facing adversity and, and, and finding deeper meaning and how you move past it. So enjoy that one. Replay it when you hit your bumps in the road and, and doors shut as they inevitably will, uh, because for Sean, you know, that meant one other door was opening somewhere else. So inspiring stuff. Check them out online. They are at askinosie.com, A-S-K-I-N-O-S-I-E.com. Check out when to jump at whentojump.com. Follow us on social at when to jump across Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. We love hearing from you. Keep them coming. Uh, and that's it for me. My name is Mike Lewis. This is wrapping up episode 54 of the When to Jump podcast. And I'll see you next week. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil.